Let's turn this morning to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read again from verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 12. And we'll read from verse 12 right down to verse 24. Philippians chapter 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord, reading of course from the authorized verse. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defence of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, that is the fruit of my labour. Yet what I shall choose I would not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 24. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken again from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. And I want to home in on the words, and to die is gain. My theme today is the Christian's perspectives on death. Two weeks ago I looked at the first part of the verse under the theme the life that is worth living. Back then I told you that in my opinion, the words for me to live as Christ constitute one of the most profound statements ever uttered by the Apostle Paul. A sublime statement. A statement not made lightly or flippantly. A true statement. A statement of Paul's testimony. And from these words we considered the purpose of Paul's life. We thought about the profoundness of Paul's life. It was a life of faith in Christ. A life of fellowship with Christ. A life of faithfulness to Christ. And I closed the sermon thinking of how the Apostle Paul spent his whole life in the promotion of Christ. And I encourage you to do the same. Now today, 
I want to deal with the second half of the verse, and to die is gain. Now, if I was to ask you to choose a word that you associate with death, imagine you're not familiar with Philippians 1.21, I venture to say that the word gain would not come to your mind. You would not associate death with gain. You see, we think of death as a terrible loss, and it is. We think of death as something that's hard and difficult and painful, and it is. You see, it's not called in the Bible the last enemy for nothing. And of course, perhaps if a person is suffering and a great deal of pain, we say their death was merciful since that individual is released from their bodily pain in the here and now. Normally, we view death as tragic, a big loss, and sad. We, we go to great lengths and efforts and expense to, to hang on to life as long as possible. And of course, it's true from the moment we're born, there begins an unceasing defense of that life in the face and reality of death. Death, of course, is a subject that we want to avoid, shun like the plague. And we don't talk about it until it's absolutely necessary to face and to discuss. Yet here it is. From the pen of the Apostle Paul, remember he's writing to encourage God's people in Philippi. They're concerned about him. He's in a Roman prison cell. He is chained to a guard 24-7. He is awaiting a sentence of death at the hands of Nero. That could take place at any moment. And he is telling the folks in Philippi not only about his life for me to live as Christ, but he's telling them that he's ready to die. He has told us how he is living. And remember to live properly. We must live purposefully. And Paul's purpose was to live in, with, and for Christ. And as he lives out his life, he has that life fully in view. And that includes both the certainty and reality of death and the uncertainty of when it will occur. And Paul tells us that when it happens, when I die, when the executioner's sword falls in my neck, that will be gain for me. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. John Calvin, in his commentary on this verse, states that the Apostle Paul is calling both his life in Christ again and his death again. You see, his whole life in Christ from the day he was converted into Damascus Road was again. His life was changed and transformed by the power of Christ. And his impending death, he also viewed it as again. I want us to think this morning... On the Christian's perspectives of death. And there's three things from this text of scripture that, that come to mind. First of all, Paul's acknowledgement of death. If you look at the text, it says, and to die. Underline the word die. Because that word 
at least infers, implies that the subject of death is being acknowledged. Paul is not only acknowledging how he lives, but he's also telling us that he is ready to die. And I want to flag this up. He's not afraid to mention or to bring up or to introduce the subject of death. Now, many of the great Christians of the past thought often about the subject of death. You see, we want to avoid it. We shun it. We, we, we shove it into the, the back drawers of the mind. Many of the great Christians of the past simply acknowledged the subject of death. Listen to Martin Luther. Even in the best of health, we should have death always before our eyes so that we will not expect to remain on the earth forever. Jonathan Edwards, as a young man, wrote down 70 resolutions, which he he read weekly to keep his life focused, centered on Christ, filled with the thoughts of God. Did you know what number nine was? I read it to you. He resolved to think much on all occasions of my dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. That's taken from his works, the works of Jonathan Edward, volume one. Richard Baxter, who lived a life with chronic illness and bodily pain, almost on a daily basis, said this, and I quote, I preach as though I should never preach again, as a dying man to dying men. I remember, of course, uh, the late Dr. Paisley drumming those words into us when we were students in the Whitfield College of the Bible to preach as a dying man to dying men. You see, you can't live the Christian life properly until you understand the Christian's perspectives on death. And of course, our view of death must be based on the truthfulness of God's word. It's not my opinions. It's not the views of people who are devoid of God's truth that counts. It's what saith the scriptures. And Paul's purpose in life took into account the reality of death and the fact that it could occur at any moment. Of course, the Bible teaches there is a step between me and death. And that's true for all of us. That was true for Paul. That fact was heightened by Paul's situation. He's in prison. He's awaiting death. Nero is the reigning Caesar at the time, the emperor of imperial Rome. He has no love for Christians. Others have been put to death under his command. We could go right back to the death of John the Baptist. We could go back to the death of Stephen. We could go back to the death of James. We could go to the deaths of a host of others. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul writing um, before 64 or 70 AD um, to the uh, Hebrew Christians, he said this in Hebrews eleven thirty six in the heroes of faith, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scorchings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. You see, 
thousands at the hands of Nero suffered terrible executions. And yet here's the Apostle Paul and he's facing death. And what's his attitude? What's his mindset? He's calm. He's confident. And he's courageous. And he doesn't avoid the reality of his death. He doesn't call it by another name. Sometimes today we talk about death as a celebration. He doesn't shun it altogether by pretending it's not real. He doesn't ignore it. He, he's not dreading it. He's not fearing it. He's, he's dealing with it. You know, there's a great difference in the death of a godly man and the death of an ungodly man. Charles Haddon Spurgeon likened death to the king of terrors. He also talked about it being the terror of kings. You see, death for the unbeliever, think of that for a moment. The Bible tells us in Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. You see, death is a part of the curse of God. God said in the beginning, Genesis 2, 17, and dying, said to Adam, thou shalt die. Death is a punishment for breaking God's law. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5 and 12, therefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. When did they all sin? They sinned in Adam. Inheriting the guilt of his first transgression. They, they sinned in Adam because they had a, a polluted heart in Adam. Death is a dreadful, terrifying ordeal. Doesn't the Bible say it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? Death is a result of man's disobedience and rebellion to God. And death is not the end for the unbeliever. Death is but the door from earth to hell itself. Where the individual is ushered into a world of endless darkness. A world of endless torment. A world of endless fire. Of course many don't believe that today. But that's what the Bible teaches. And we could talk this morning if we were dealing with the subject of God's hell. We could prove to you how real a place it is. Not only is the devil a real being, but hell is a real place. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and in the verse um, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him that is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And, and we could Throw up many other references. You see, at death for the unbeliever, every opportunity to be in a right relationship with God is gone. The door of grace and the door of mercy is closed forever. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And this is an appointment that everyone will keep. There'll be no excuses. There'll be nobody late. There'll be nobody not turn up. To be without Christ in this world is to be without Christ in the next world. And I want to remind you, the Lord Jesus talked about dying without him. 
He said it three times in John 8, 22, 24. If you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot be. There's two ways to die. You can die without Christ. Or you can die in Christ. And I've been to many funerals. I've been to at least um, two this week. Thought at the funeral. How does this person live? And of course I'm always interested in the lifestyle of a person. I thought about how did they die? And I'm not thinking of whether it was a tragic situation or, or a person elderly in life or the death of a child or a car accident. But, but I'm thinking of spirituality. Did they die in Christ? Because the Bible says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. And you see, many are busy today. This is a busy season of the year. We acknowledge that. Many are busy with work, busy with family, busy with maybe their sporting activity or their hobby, busy with their business. But, but they never stop to think or acknowledge the reality of this subject or live in light of the uncertainty of when it will break in upon them. And, and yet this must be faced. It, it must be acknowledged. Paul was in Christ and he acknowledges the uncertainty as well as the reality of death. I want to ask you this morning, are you in Christ? Was there a time when you repented of your sin? Was there a time when you acknowledged your need of the Saviour? Was there a time when you come and trusted and accepted and embraced him as your personal Lord and Redeemer? Paul's acknowledgement of death. I want you to think secondly and quickly, Paul's announcement about death. If you look at the text, it says, and to die is gain. Now, now we'll underline the word gain. You see, Paul had no fear of death itself. He is filled with a fear-free attitude to it. He's no fear of dying. Why? Because Christ was his life. It was all because of Christ. Now, now think for a moment what does this mean, gain? When he said, and to die is gain, what, what does that mean? Let me tell you first of all what it doesn't mean, so we'll look at it negatively. It doesn't mean that a Christian should um, desire death because he hates life. Paul didn't hate his life in prison. Even though it was a life of bodily pain and much suffering, even though life for him was in difficult circumstances, Paul, remember, viewed life as being one who was redeemed in Christ. He had been saved by the grace of God. He views life as one who's rejoicing in Christ. He has sweet fellowship with him, even in the prison. He viewed life as one who was resting in Christ. He had the joy of serving him, even in the jailhouse. He's not viewing his life as tough. He's not viewing it as hard. He's not viewing life, oh, I wish death would come as a means of escape or relief. Yes, his life is difficult. Yes, he's suffering great pain. Yes. But when Paul says gain, he doesn't mean that he's desiring death to escape life. We know that for many, life is difficult. We know that many are suffering 
from terminal illness with great pain in their body and they, they may long for relief and the, the temptation would be in those circumstances or that situation to, to, to take one's own life. And I want to say this morning, even godly men can get into a state of depression that they would rather die than live. And we could, we could talk about Moses, we could talk about Elijah, we could talk about Jeremiah, we could talk about Jonah. They all had low points in their life and they, they, they felt that they would rather die than live. Yet I want to say also that taking one's own life is never God's will. It's not God's will for anyone. It's a sinful act. It's a selfish act. It doesn't exalt Christ. It doesn't spare the pain of the family that's left behind. But Paul was not suicidal. Paul was not morbid. Paul loved life. His life was Christ and he lived it to the full. And he viewed it as an opportunity to serve him. And every Christian, true Christian, ought to love life. And they ought to live life to the full. And and view life as an opportunity to to serve him. Of course, it doesn't mean as well that a true believer doesn't grieve over loved ones. Until Christ returns, death is still our enemy. The Bible tells us, weep with those who are weak. It's right to grieve. Jesus wept over the graves of Lazarus. So when Paul talks about gain, he's not saying that he desired death because he hated life. He's not saying, well, well, I can't no longer grieve over a loved one who's died. So let's look at it not from a negative point of view, but a, but a positive point of view. What does it mean if we look at it positively? Why is it a gain? He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is Gain, something that's a present reality. Why? And here's the answer. Because of Christ. Now, now engage your mind here. Because of Christ. That's why it's gain. Christ suffered for us. Death, remember, is the result of Adam's sin and us in him, Romans 5 and 12. Death is passed upon all men for the all have sinned, and because all have sinned, all must die. But Christ took the sins of his people on himself. He bare our sins in his own body in the tree. He died in our place. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Romans 5, 6-9 tells us Christ died for the ungodly. For means for the benefit of, on behalf of, in, in the place of, in the stead of. In other words, he was a substitute. The death of the believer is not a penalty. It's a privilege. Why? Because Christ suffered death for us. The death of the believer is not a curse. Glory to God. It's a coronation. Because Christ not only suffered death for us, did you know that he conquered death for us? Turn over there to Hebrews chapter 2 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 2, look look with me at verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. You see, that's a reference to the incarnation. That's a reference to the advent and coming of Christ. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Now notice this. That through death. 
he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What's he saying here? Christ's incarnation, Christ's sinless life that he lived on earth, Christ's vicarious death on the cross, Christ's glorious resurrection from the dead, combined Christ defeated death. And by dying, he defeated death. Death is a defeated foe for every true Christian. Its sting, its power has been taken away. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Christ not only conquered death, but Christ is victorious over death. Think of his bodily resurrection. And his resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And it's all ours by virtue of being in union with Christ. Isn't it wonderful and comforting to think of Psalm 23 and verse 4? This, this was mentioned at the funeral for Philip McCacken. Christ is present with us even in the face of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thou art with me. Christ's presence is assured with us in the face of death. Why? Because he suffered death for us. He has conquered death for us. He's victorious over death for us. And by virtue of union in Christ, well, what Christ did becomes ours. That's why Paul could face death with calmness. That's why he had confidence. That's why he was courageous. He was in Christ. Christ had changed and transformed his life. Christ dealt with sin's penalty, sin's power, sin's pleasure. Christ's death pleased the Father. His, his sinless life and vicarious death were, were accepted by the Father and Christ removed death's sting forever. Christ is forever with his people. You see, when Christ was with Paul in the prison and Paul was with Christ in prison, Paul is exalting Christ. Whether he lived, he said, verse 20, or whether he died, what was his aim? Exalt Christ. I'm going to exalt Christ in the prison. I'm going to exalt Christ in my pain. I'm going to exalt Christ even by death. You see, he was bearing witness to Christ. Let me tell you something here. In the reign of Queen Mary, known as Bloody Mary, in 1555 to 1558, three years, 288 people were burned to death at the stake. 17 of them were burnt to death outside the town hall in Lewis where Philip Knowles that was here last Sunday is going to preach to you. What was here to preach to you. That's where he's going to minister. 17 of them were burnt outside the, 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 the door of the town hall in Lewis. And these individuals, the 288, refused to give up their Protestant beliefs and confess and embrace the dogmas and doctrines of Roman Catholicism. They were faithful martyrs. And they viewed their death as a means of exalting Christ. The first was a godly pastor by the name of John Rogers. The second was Bishop John Hooper. The third was Roland Taylor. The fourth was uh, Bishop Robert Farmer. The fifth was a man called John Bradford, age 35. And we could go on right down to 288. You'll get the information in Fox's Book of Martyrs. But they all were very courageous. They were all calm. They were all confident. Why? Because in their death, they were exalting Christ. 
So when Paul says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that's why John Calvin said he was not only uh, gaining in life by being changed and transformed by the grace of God, but, but his death was a gain. Why? Because it was a means of exalting Christ. And that's the way you have to look at it. Don't look at it negatively. Look at it positively. Why did he say that? It was because of Christ who suffered, conquered, and is victorious in the face of death. And all that Christ did for us is ours by virtue of being in union with him. One final thought. Not only Paul's acknowledgement of death and Paul's announcement about death, but I want you to think thirdly and finally of Paul's advantage in death. See, death is not a loss to Paul. It's a gain. It's not the end of things. It's the beginning of greater things. See, let, let me say this in closing. Four, four little thoughts. Death ushered Paul into the Lord's presence. Paul would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, in light of the reality of Christ's victory over death by his resurrection, death brings the believer to inherit eternal rewards. Death ushers him into the Lord's presence, sweeping through the gates of the new Jerusalem, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Death, of course, frees us from earthly labors and trials and temptations. Paul had worked hard since he was converted. Paul, I'm sure, was battle-weary. He, he talked there in the book of um, Timothy. He, he says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, For I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul had suffered much from Christ. I'm sure he was tired. Think of the beatings, think of the imprisonments, think of the stonings, think of the shipwreck, think of all the, the, the weariness of dealing with problems inside the church and outside. And I'm sure he longed for eternal rest as well as eternal reward. And if you want to know how hard Paul's life was, just read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 29. Death not only ushered him into the Lord's presence and freedom from earthly labors, but death meant he was with Christ. Look with me at verse 23. He says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Which is far better. Can you see the words, with Christ? <laughs> Doesn't 2 Corinthians 5, 8 talk about being absent from the body and present with the Lord? Now, now think of that. What does with Christ mean? I remember the story that the Reverend Martin told uh, here during the mission of the man dying in the hospital and asking the nurse to write on his eyelids as she closed them when he died um, with Christ. And she told him, oh, I couldn't do that. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll write something else. Write far better. With Christ, far better. You see, that's why it was a gain. And the word gain means advantageous. Not only did death usher him to the Lord's presence, bring him home to heaven, get his eyes on the Lord. Not only was he freed from his earthly labor, but he was with Christ forever, forever with the Lord. 
And do you know what? If we believe absent from the body and present with the Lord, we'll reject the doctrine of soul sleep. The doctrine of soul sleep is the doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventists. They believe that in death the soul sleeps while the body's in the grave awaiting the future resurrection. That's not what the Bible teaches. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We also reject the doctrine of annihilation. Some people teach that death means that you cease to exist. You're like an animal. But the Bible talks about body, soul and spirit. Talks about the Lord Jesus giving up the ghost or, or giving up the soul. We reject the doctrine of reincarnation. The doctrine of reincarnation believes that the soul keeps on being reborn, recycled. And if you live a bad life, your soul will be uh, reborn in another form and it'll be a worse life. Of course, the opposite is true. This is what the Hindus believe and the Buddhists believe. But we reject the doctrine of reincarnation. Do you know why? Because the Bible says, Hebrews 9, 27, and there's a point unto men once to die and after this the judgment. We also reject the doctrine of purgatory. The Roman Catholic Church believes, of course, that purgatory is a place of purifying fire where souls go to and get a second chance to be reborn after a period of suffering. Of course, you have to pray for them and you have to pay for them to get out of purgatory. It was invented by the Pope, Pope Gregory the Great in 593 AD. It was not officially Roman Catholic doctrine until 850 years later in 1439. It was rejected by Martin Luther and many of the reformers. It contradicts the finished work of Christ. It contradicts salvation by grace through faith alone. It makes salvation dependent on good works, prayers and payments. And it renders assurance of heaven and to be with Christ impossible. Death means he's with Christ. And because we're with Christ, we reject these doctrines. And one other thing. Death means he's conformed to the image of Christ. Not only with him, but like him. Can you get the picture this morning? He was in Christ. He knew Christ. He was with Christ. And he longed to be like Christ. Over there in 1 John chapter 3, we read these words. In verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now let me close this morning. This is only for the true believer. This is not for the unbeliever, this advantage. There's an illustration told of a man called William Hunter. Another out of that 288 martyrs that were put to death under the reign of Bloody Mary. And he was taken to the stake at Brentwood. He had refused to deny Christ or recant his Protestant faith. And the sheriff's son, whom William Hunter had actually led to the Lord, he begged him not to go to the stake. And he said, but you're going to face death by burning. And this is what he said, and I quote, I thank God. I am not afraid to die. And you know when they put him to the stake at Brentwood and the fire was lit, this is what he said. Son of God, shine in me. And in the dark clouds of that morning, 
a ray of sunlight as Fox's Book of Martyr records shone on his face. His face lit up and he went to heaven thanking God he was not afraid to die. You see, he had calmness, he had confidence, he had full assurance. Only in Christ, I press again, you need to be in Christ. Paul acknowledged death. Paul made an announcement about death. Paul was advantageous in the face of death because this is what it did for him. This is what it will do for you if you're in Christ. We get all of this calmness and this confidence, but you must be in Christ. I encourage you without Christ to enter into him today by faith. May the Lord bless these few remarks to your heart.